Thank you, sir. Yeah, as, uh, as JR said, um, we've been putting quite a bit of effort into our online presence. And uh, can we just give Mr. Nick Regan, he's like the brains behind that operation. Can we just give him a hand for everything he's been doing? He's back here in the back. He's a good-looking gentleman. He's the one that, that yeah, you know Nick. Um, so, uh, what I thought before we get started, I uh, just want to say good morning to you guys that joined us in person. If you are online, though, looking at you, uh, throw in the chat there where you're joining us from, because we have seen that our, our viewership is, uh, it's not just from Helena, so it's always curious to see where uh, we're having people online join us. Uh, one other thing I want to do before I uh, dive into the message, I just want to take a second and pray. As JR said, um, obviously we're in the middle of a pandemic, but it's just that season where um, I know in, in my circles there's quite a few people that aren't feeling well, and um, we serve a God who heals. And so um, today I, I just want us to take a second and, and collectively ask for that. So um, God, we, we do this morning, Father, we, we pause and we just ask, Lord, you are, you are Jehovah Rapha, God, you are the God that heals. And this morning, Lord, um, there are several uh, people and groups that need your healing touch. So God, I just ask in Jesus' name that you would heal uh, those people. Father, the, the ones that are in this room, the ones listening online, the ones that we have in our, in our minds, Father, I just pray specifically, God, that you would, you would heal, you would wipe out those symptoms, Lord, whatever they may be. Father, I, I pray specifically, Lord, uh, today, God, I, I just pray for rest for those folks that need rest, Lord. I know that when you're not feeling well, Rest is hard to come by. So I just pray specifically, God, that, that uh, good night's sleeps would be had tonight, Father, that as you work, the body could just take a second and rest, Father. But Lord, I, I want to hear stories, Lord, of healing, Father. I want to hear testimonies where you have healed, Lord. So I, I just ask, Father, that you would do what you do so well and that you would heal today, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, last week, Another one of our elders, Corey Swanson, gave us a great message. Uh, the name of that message was Remain. And, and Corey encouraged us that, you know, what's ever happening in our crazy world, that we would remain, that we would remain close to uh, Jesus, that we, we would remain unified as a church. And I really liked his message. One of the verses that really stood out to me, I've never um, saw this verse in the translation that he used. It was out of Romans. And it was chapter 12, verse 10, and he says this. Paul says, love one another in brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. The NIV says, delight in showing honor. But I really like this idea because I've never heard it put that way. Outdo one another in showing honor. So now, if you know me, I'm not a hugely competitive guy. Unless we're playing Mario Kart, then I will dominate. That's just the, the way it is. If my wife were here, she would know that that's a line of falsehood because she usually beats me because she gets way too many red shells. Okay, that's a rabbit trail. But Mario Kart fans, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but I, I like this idea of showing honor to one another because what Paul did in that verse is, you know, our, our, our default perspective is always ourselves, right? And he was taking that and he was shifting it to somebody else. He was saying, outdo one another in showing honor. So ever since I heard that verse, I've been thinking of all the different ways that we could show honor to one another. I mean, in all the different situations and all the different social circles, what are the ways that we can show honor to one another practically? And as I've thought about it, 
There are so many ways. I, I was journaling and I, I just wrote a list of like, okay, how can I show honor to somebody else? And I just wrote a list. And there's one way that I wrote down that is universal to your social circles, your situations, even, even culture, even those cultures that's, that are, are different from us in America. It's a way that we can show honor to one another, regardless of our background, regardless of our differences. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we talk about that, we're going to have a little conversation about science. Raise your hand if you miss science fairs. Wow. Okay, that's like five hands. First service there was three. So, <laughs> uh, so in 1950, near the end of his life, Mr. Albert Einstein, he declared this theory that, that everything is made up of waveforms. And these waveforms, they're, they're harmonically unified. He also stated that, that nothing in the universe is still, but everything is vibrating or oscillating at some level. That was in 1950. So skip ahead to today. Scientists have proven that theory as correct because with the aid of an electron microscope, we've seen that when heat is added to a substance, what happens is the molecules and the atoms vibrate faster. And as they vibrate faster, the space between those atoms increases. So even things that appear to be solid are made up of moving atoms. And so Einstein, he went on and, and he concluded that all naturally occurring structures and shapes, and he's talking from microscopic forms to even our planets, they're sustained by sound. So everything that is formed, whether it's living or non-living, he would say, is sustained by sound. So speaking of sound, does anybody know what cymatics is? Raise your hand. All right, well, you're in, you're in good company. I didn't know it either until a couple weeks ago. Cymatics is really interesting. Cymatics is the science of turning sound into images. Or another way of putting it, it's, it's a visualization on how sound affects the world. Check this out. So if you caught that, if the sound waves maintained a certain frequency, then the pattern of the salt maintained but when the frequency changed, the pattern of the sound changed. So you could conclude, if you change the sound, you change the effect. See, Albert Einstein understood this, but it didn't start without Albert Einstein. It started much earlier. And I'm going to show you where. If you look in Genesis, if you haven't started your Bible reading plan this year, it just started, because we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to go Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, and I want to show you where it started. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. So on the whole planet earth, there was, there was nothing. And then there was a sound. The sound of the voice of our Creator. Because of that sound, light was created. God said, and there was light. God said, and then he created. God created the, the world that we are li living in literally by speaking. He spoke a world into existence. So it makes me wonder then for today, 
What kind of world are we creating? By the things we say. See, God showed us a precedent that sound creates life, or at least it has that potential. It begs the question then, what kind of a world are we creating by the sound coming out of our mouth? I want you to do something for me. This, this might be a little uncomfortable, but I want everybody to close their eyes because I want you to use your imagination a little bit here. Picture this in your mind's eye. I want you to imagine that you're in a, a science fiction movie and it's black and white and it's desolate and everything's been destroyed. As you look around, there are no buildings. There's no banks. There's no churches. There's no stores. There's no government. There's not even a Costco. Everything is torn down. And then as you're sitting there taking in this desolate space, this army comes out of nowhere and shackles you up and forcibly removes you from that land. You can open your eyes. It's a little unsettling, right? Your whole world just fell apart. I'm guessing that's what it must have felt like for the Jewish people when the prophet Ezekiel was writing. See, Ezekiel, he's not somebody that we hear from often, but he's an important figure. And and let me give you a little bit of background. He lived during uh, the Babylonian exile, and that was around 600 years before Jesus. Let me tell you, this was not a good time to be alive as a Jewish person, because what was happening is the kingdom of Israel had fallen, and the, the people had been taken away by the Babylonian army. More importantly, God's temple, completely destroyed. The temple had been completely destroyed and looted. Um, Jerusalem had been plundered. You guys, this, this is a dark, dark time in, in Israel's history. If you didn't read ahead and if you didn't know the end of the story, you might think, is this where it ends for Israel? Is this where it ends for God's people? Is this where it ends for God? Because as you look around, there's nothing left and you just got captured by your enemy. So in this dark time, God does what he does so well and he sends a vision to the prophet Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 37, we're going to see this vision and Ezekiel sees a a valley of dry bones representing what's left of Israel. So I want to read this to you. We're in Ezekiel 37 verse 1. Ezekiel's speaking and he says, the hand of the Lord was on me. He brought me out of this he brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and sent me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. Now I want to pause there because in this vision there's no there's no blood or, or marrow left on these bones. There's no life. It's just a valley of death. And and God made Ezekiel look at it. And something I never noticed in that verse until I was preparing this is the the length of time that Ezekiel communicates. He says that God led him back and forth among them. He didn't say he just looked at the bones. He's walking back and forth among the bones, which indicates time, which indicates that he has to process this. He has to to feel the suffering. He has to feel the hopelessness. And I can't imagine what what that has to feel like. And, And finally, God spoke to Ezekiel. And he says, he asked me, God asked Ezekiel, son of man, can these these bones come to life? And I love Ezekiel's answer here because I see a little bit of myself here. And I'll explain that. Ezekiel said, sovereign, O Lord God, only you know. 
Let me tell you how I interpret this, because I don't know if it's right, but let me just tell you how I interpret it. You ever have those questions where somebody asks you a question and you should know the answer to that, but instead you're just like, what do you think? I mean, that's kind of how I interpret this. Like God is saying, son of man, can these bones come to life? And Ezekiel says, oh Lord God, only you know you know, I mean, I, you, you would know God. It's like that time, you know, when Leslie says, my wife, she says, well, well, where do you want to go to dinner? That's a critical moment in the marriage, fellas, because she has an answer in her head. And I'm like, honey, I love you so much. What sounds good to you tonight? Nick, it's never Taco Bell. I'll just say that. <laughs> so I want you to notice here, though, what God doesn't say to Ezekiel. Because I, what we look at is we see God presenting this question that he knows the answer to. Because I don't think God can ask a question that he doesn't know the answer to. So he says, son of man, can these bones come to life? He's asking Ezekiel a faith question. It's one of those litmus questions like, what do you think? Can these bones come to life? He's wanting, I believe, he's, he's wanting a response out of Ezekiel. And when Ezekiel says, <laughs> I don't know. God doesn't say, you of little faith. Oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Come on, man. What's your problem? He doesn't say that. He says this. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. What a fantastic moment for Ezekiel. Because here you know that that God is going to bring life. And God has an end game in mind. And God doesn't, I mean, you know that God could just snap his fingers and those bones would come to life. But that's not what happens. God says, okay, I have an end game and I want you to do it. I want you to partner with me. I want you to speak to those bones and raise them up. And I just thought that is so awesome that that is the way that miracle happened. That God didn't just do it by himself. He partnered with a human being to do that. The the story goes on and God tells Ezekiel to prophesy to the wind to fill the bodies with breath. And Ezekiel does it and it happens. Then the meaning of the vision comes in verse 11. Then God said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. What a fantastic message for Ezekiel to get to deliver. In the Old Testament, prophets didn't always get good news. This is good news. He's saying to a people that have been completely wrecked and have been taken to this, their enemy's land, they're thinking that they're going to die, that God is dead, and Ezekiel gets this message saying, no, you will live again. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. You are not at the end of your story. Ezekiel's words got to usher in that life. You know, there's, 
There's another story in the New Testament that I think we need to pay attention to. It's when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. If you haven't heard this story, uh, what's happening is that Jesus gets word that Lazarus, who's somebody that he deeply cares for, Lazarus was sick. And so Jesus gets the message and he says, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to go, but I'm going to wait two days. Well, it's a a two-day journey to where he was going. So that's four days. So between the time that Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick and when he got to Lazarus, spoiler alert, Lazarus died. And so people were understandably upset. Now, a thing of note here for that culture is that Lazarus had been dead four days. In that time, one of the the universal understandings was they would wait three days before really confirming that somebody was dead. This is four. So in that time, Lazarus is, is, is dead. I mean, there's no kind of dead, sort of alive. There's no princess bride thing happening here. I mean, he's dead. And now a lot of you are just not going to listen to my message because you're wondering what princess bride has to do with this. I'm not going to tell you. You have to watch the movie. So let's pick it up in John chapter 11, 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb, Lazarus's tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been in there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you've always heard me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. I asked the first service, I said, how loud do you suppose that that Jesus' voice was? And somebody after the service says, well, it was loud enough to wake the dead. I'm I'm ashamed that I didn't come up with that because I should have. Did you catch that? Did you catch the miracle that happened there? They rolled away the stone Jesus went into the tomb and he laid hands on Lazarus and raised him from the dead. Did you catch that? No, you didn't because that didn't happen. They took away the stone and Jesus said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Jesus tells Lazarus to come out of the tomb and Lazarus comes out. He raised Lazarus by speaking life into him. The the miracle of this, one of the miracles of this story is that when when Jesus spoke life into them, one of the really interesting things is is in the gospel of John, I think this, this is what really finally establishes Jesus as God, because this is when he raised somebody from the dead, which was God's business. And if you keep reading in John, this is the turning point in this gospel, because at this point, the, the political leaders of the day they start plotting to kill Jesus. Because one could argue, and this would be a a pretty good stretch for an argument, but one could argue that they could argue away the other miracles that Jesus did. They can't argue this. He spoke to somebody and raised him from the dead. So from this point on, they began plotting to kill Jesus. You guys, God is in the business of life. He's in the business of, of creating it and sustaining it and restoring it and speaking it. Life is what God does, whether it's for the the whole world at creation 
or a, a newborn baby or a, a tomb that had somebody in there that was dead for four days or our hopeless situations. The, the dry bones that we find in our own lives that are devoid of hope. God is in the business of restoring that with words of life. Ezekiel, we saw, created life by speaking. Jesus restored life by speaking. They changed the world by what they said. So then the question remains, what kind of a world are we creating around us? You know, uh, in addition to these stories, the, the Bible is full of counsel on this topic of words and communication. I just went out and did a simple search, went to biblehub.com and just typed in some words and let me show you what I found. Tongue is in the Bible 150 times. Talk, talk, talking 125 times and you see the rest of the words there. If you add those up, in, this is in one version, 1,600 references to this topic. You want to go through those today? What kind of a time do you have? Do you want, no. How about we go through a couple of them? So in the book of Proverbs, this is, this is good stuff in the book of Proverbs, the tongue, which is a, a metaphor for our words, has the power of life and death. He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. When words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is, is wise. A couple more. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. And a word aptly spoken, I love this imagery, is like apples of gold in settings of silver. That's just Proverbs. If we look in the, in the book of James, James has a lot to say about this. Um, he mentions how the, the tongue, which forms our words, obviously, is, is small but powerful, like the rudder on a ship. One of the most interesting things that James mentions is one of the most dangerous things about the tongue. And that's how inconsistent the tongue is. He says this, James 3, chapter 9, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. It's like today, for example. If you want to get really real with this, it's like today, Sunday. We, uh, We'll spend a couple hours with one another. We heard some worship, heard a message, and then we'll all go about our day and we leave the building and then our butt gets in the way. What? What did you just say? Yeah, our butt gets in the way. Let me give you an example. You're in your car and you're like, oh man, did, did you talk to so-and-so? Yes, I did. Man, he's such a great guy. I love talking to him. He's a, he's a great guy. But did you hear what he's doing? Did you hear what he's saying? Oh, yeah. Our former senior pastor said a lot. He said, the words we say would be so encouraging if we just left our butt out of it. But yet, we got to stick our butt in it, right? It's not enough just to compliment the guy. You got you to bring up some, some temptation or some sin or some ugly stuff that maybe they're dealing with, with the understanding that you're not dealing with anything. And oh, isn't that gross? Isn't that gross? Our words are sometimes so inconsistent. And why is that? Why are our words so inconsistent? Because you might say, all right, Tyler, so is, is your message this morning change your words? No, that'd be a very simple message. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus tells us why our words are inconsistent. He's speaking to a group of religious leaders that he didn't care for too much. And he just called them a brood of vipers and some other things. And then at the end, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. 
So Jesus is saying that um, our words are an x-ray into our soul. What our words do is our words are a vehicle. Our words take what is inside and they take that and put it outside. You ever have those moments like when you're having a conversation with somebody and, and then you just say something that's just gross and you just feel like you have to take a shower afterwards and you just wish you could put it back in there and then everybody around you knows that it was probably a stupid thing to say? Okay, really glad that I'm the only one that's ever done that. I hate those moments, but at the same time, I, I'm appreciative of those moments. I don't love those moments. I'm appreciative of them because it shows me what I didn't know was inside. And in those moments, after I usually have to go in and apologize, I say, thank you, God, because I didn't know that was in there. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, if you're going to just say, change my words, you're missing the point. He's not saying, change your words. He's saying, look deeper. Your words are an x-ray into your soul. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So the question remains, what kind of a world are we creating? Because the world that is inside of us, we are creating outside of us. You know, I've, I've read the process, this, this whole thing we're talking about, I've read it to happen like this. You start with what you take in. And that's everything that you take in. So your ears, your eyes, um, who you follow on social media, the news you're reading, music, it's everything that you're taking in, okay? You start there. So you're taking this stuff in. And then what happens? It, does, it doesn't stop there. It turns into a thought. So if, if we follow this out, let's just come up with an example. So we're, we're reading something on the news outlet and you're, you're taking that in. And then you read it and you have a thought about it. You're like, oh, you know what? I don't agree with that. that that's wrong. You took it in, now you have a thought. It doesn't stop there usually because then you have a belief. You read it and you say, you know what? That's wrong. You just formed a belief about it. That's wrong. Usually it doesn't stop there either. Usually it goes into an action. You read the article. You know what? I don't believe that. That's wrong. I'm going to blank. I'm going to correct that. So I'm going to blank and that creates the outcome. Now, what's really interesting in this whole process is I think of this like an iceberg. That so much of that process is not seen. The only thing that is seen is our actions, which are our words, and the outcome. So whatever we do because of what our beliefs are, that's all on the bottom, stirring and forming on the inside. And then when we believe something and we're going to create an action, that's the iceberg on the top. And so that's why it's like the message is not change your words. The message is what's going on underneath there. What are you believing about the person? What are you believing about the situation? Because I guarantee what is out, what is in will come out. That is what Jesus said. Our words create outcomes, right? That's what everybody can see. So if we ask ourselves, what kind of a world are we creating? The world we're creating for others is the world that we're already living in. You ever thought about that? The world that you're creating for others is the world that you're already living in. So I'll ask again, you probably know the question by now, but both inside you and outside you, what kind of a world are we creating? You guys, 
I sincerely believe that now more than ever, we, we're living in a time in our society in which people need life-giving words. They, we, you, me, we need encouragement. We need blessing, don't we? We don't need cursing. We need dependability. Why dependability? An author that I read recently said, leaders don't get to have bad moods. Leaders don't get to have bad moods. The sentiment there is that if others are watching you, they're probably taking their cue off of you. And I would say, I mean, you know that old adage about, you know, well, steer clear of the boss. He's in a bad mood today. That's not just about the boss. And it's not just about leaders. That's about everybody and everywhere. That's, that's in every situation. I, I would ask you, leader or not, I believe everybody's a leader because you, you have, you're, there's things you're leading. So I would ask, you're in that boat. I would ask, what, what are the conversations that you're having around the dinner table with your kids? What, is, what are the words that your kids are hearing come out of your mouth? What are, the, what are the situations that, you know, when nobody else around, when it's just you and your spouse maybe, what are those words that just you guys hear? What is the world that you're creating in your job? When so many of us are working from home and everything is just keyboard, what kind of a world are you creating there? What kind of a world are you creating in your relationships? You guys, I believe this now more than ever, is we are living in a world in which we have the opportunity, just like Ezekiel had, to outdo one another in showing honor by how we use sound. Just like in the video, how the changing the sound changes the effects. We have the opportunity to change our words, to change the world around us. In every conversation we have, whether it's, it's written or in texting, try this out today. See how it goes. In the text messages that you send today, in the conversations you have today, be watching the sound that comes out of your mouth because you have an opportunity and you have a choice. Today, you can encourage or you can discourage. It's a choice you have. Today, you can bless or you can curse. Today, you can create or you can destroy. That is a choice you have today. So then, I would ask the final question because I think that question on the screen is wrong. I don't think it's what kind of a world are we creating, but maybe the question should be, what kind of a world will you create? What kind of a world will you create? And I'm not going to give you a, I'm not going to give you three points today on how to say the perfect thing or anything like that. You guys are all smart. Spirit of God lives inside of you, I hope, and he can speak to you about this, but I'm going to leave you today with a question. What kind of a world will you create? You're going to create a world. I guarantee you that. The question is, what kind is it? Let me pray for us. Father, you, you said in your word in, in Matthew chapter five, you said, let your light so shine that others may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. God, and that is my prayer for us as a people today, that our light would shine so brightly that others would take note of that and they would say, man, there's something different about her. What is it? And that we could bring glory back to you, Father. God, I pray that uh, in the days and the weeks to come, Father, that you would find us stewarding this message well, that we would be creating 
encouragement in others, that we would be creating life where there was death, Father, because that is what you've asked us to do. And God, I pray a blessing upon Mount Helen Community Church, Lord. I pray, Father, that as we go, we can, we can just bring you glory and honor with our lives, Father. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.